Lord, thank you so much for getting us through another week. Lord, uh, for your grace that is unending. God, thank you for the friends that you surround us with, for the prayers that you've answered. Lord, thank you for everything that we may take for granted in a given week. Lord Jesus, amongst all the reasons for us to thank you, God, there are still burdens. Lord, there's health burdens that we represent, maybe alive in our, our lives or maybe our family and friends. Lord, there's uh, burdens about jobs and finances, Lord. God, physical needs or otherwise, Lord, we, we want to actively place them in your hands right now. Lord, we want to trust you with those. God, we want to lay them at your feet because we know that you are a God that is big enough to handle them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be about our conversations today. Lord, that you would use me as a vessel. Lord, not to say the words that I would like to say, but, but the things that you have for each of us to hear today. Lord God, we love you so much. And we thank you for who you are, God, and, and who you will continue to be in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Man, it's like my first Sunday back, and I had the worst moment. My shoe came untied while I was singing, and I thought, what do I do? Because if I bend over and start tying it, somebody's going to start praying for me. <laughs> and then, like, what if revival starts? And I don't know. We're just a shoe tie away, guys. I, that's all I'm saying. I was really, really nervous. So I thought, man, and my roommate's sitting right over there. She's going to think I was, like, slain in the spirit, and we're going to start something that I didn't mean to. I actually knew a guy that fell asleep once at the end of a camp, uh, like, preaching time, and he fell asleep <laughs> like this, like sitting in a seat, not in air, and he woke up, and there he was surrounded by people praying over him, and they were like, I'm so happy you finally came to the Lord, Colin, and he was like, where am I? Uh, so I just imagined that was going to happen, but, but welcome to church this morning, guys. <laughs> uh, if you needed your daily dose of awkward from Lindsay, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I'm so stinking excited to be back preaching. It was great to hear from the other pastors on staff here for a month, but man, I start to get weird when I'm not preaching. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, she's sitting really close to front today. Uh, we had, I remember I was like having conversations with people, and I would have three points and a conclusion to everything that I said, and I realized I was preaching because I haven't been preaching up here. Um, so I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series, one that maybe some of you are already dreading by just the title slide being up there, but uh, I have a story to start off with today, and that is, has anybody ever been to the Badlands in South Dakota? One! Thank you, Jesus! Okay, two, all right. Um, I've been to the Badlands in South Dakota. For those of you who don't know, it's like South Dakota and Grand Canyon, kind of. Um, I have a picture of me and my sister there, actually. Um, and it's just these big, beautiful rock formations uh, in the middle of nowhere. And this is me as a seven-year-old. And let's just admire that fanny pack, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good day. Um, and we went out to the Badlands. We went out to that side of the state once a year in the summertime. And 
I remember this picture because it was the very first like viewpoint when you get into the Badlands. And so my parents were like, get out of the car, we got to take pictures. And what you don't see is that behind me, there's like, well, for a seven-year-old's purposes, a 3,000-foot drop behind me uh, of a cliff. And I was terrified. Uh, I don't know if you can see it on my face at all, but I was pretty terrified. And I was like, I don't want to take a picture next to this. I'm terrified of falling. But, but we sat there, and we took the pictures. And I remember we loaded up into the minivan. And I distinctly remember leaning forward through the two front seats and saying to my parents, so what are we going to do next? And they open mouth laughed at me. And I didn't understand why. And then my siblings joined in, and they laughed at me. Because what they knew and I didn't was that the Badlands of South Dakota are 242,556 acres of land. And I had seen about one acre of it. <laughs> uh, I actually have another picture of the Badlands for you to put this in a scope, okay? We drove for hours through the Badlands. In, in, as a seven-year-old, it felt like years. And I remember this trip for two reasons. Because I can appreciate God's creation like the next guy. But 242,756 acres of colored rock for a seven-year-old? I was bored. And I remember this, this trip for two reasons. One, the picture. And two, I got in so much trouble. Because <laughs> I said, are we there yet? Are we done yet? Can we go home yet? And my parents were so mad. <laughs> and have you ever been there? You know, maybe you've been the kid. Maybe you have the kid. You know, I don't know. Uh, but when you think to yourself on long car rides, when are we ever going to get there? Or maybe it's in long meetings. And you think, oh my gosh, just wrap it up, Jerry. You know, uh, maybe it's within uh, car rides. Maybe it's just people that just never seem to stop talking. And if we're honest, we all do it, and we know it's not helpful, but sometimes we complain, right? It's okay. It's a safe space. Sometimes we complain. <laughs> uh, sometimes we do it. So I want to welcome you to this new sermon series called My Big Fat Mouth. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to look at the words that we say and how powerful they are. And look at the words that we don't say. So I like to start with a quick prayer at the beginning of every series, uh, just to lay it before Jesus as we get started. So pray with me here. Lord, we trust you with the words we say. God, and you know exactly the things that are already popping up in our minds. Um, Lord, give us the grace and the understanding to hear about a difficult topic today and for the next four weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes it's difficult to start these topics because it's kind of awkward, uh, because everybody struggles with it. So I just want to give you like 30 seconds to turn to your neighbor and just complain. Like, if you just need to complain that we're talking about complaining, do it. If you need to complain, just do it. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and your time starts now. Go ahead.
<laughs> okay, 30 seconds is up. Did you need more time? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now that the ground is completely level, and nobody passed my little test, by the way, um, I want to look at some scripture. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, <laughs> it says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Yikes. Got a little quiet in here. Uh, Luke 6, verse 45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of what? A good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. See, the words that we say, they're incredibly important, right? Uh, they have power in what we say and what we don't say. And so, as we look at this topic of complaining, I want to look through Scripture and give us a fresh perspective on some complaining that maybe we are guilty of doing. And you can't look in Scripture and talk about complaining without mentioning the Israelites, okay? Uh, we all know the Israelites, Moses, let my people go, right? And the Israelites, they were in slavery, in bondage, not like slavery as in, you know, a light version of it, but like whipped if they didn't build a wall that is big enough in the time that they were given. And they prayed for years for some sort of miracle to happen, and God provides it. He actually provides a lot of miracles. He provides 10 miracles just to change the heart of Pharaoh. He splits the sea in half so they can walk right through it. After they get through it, he puts it back and kills Pharaoh's army. Uh, they, he gives them bread in the wilderness that rains down from heaven. That's something dreams are made of, guys. Carbs from heaven. Um, I love it. Uh, he gives them water out of a rock. And, and then, what do they do? Well, actually, it's very similar to what I did in the middle of the Badlands as a seven-year-old girl. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt? that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> That's just gold right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? <laughs> Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Like, aren't they ridiculous? God's produced so much in their lives, and they're like, Oh, it would have been better to die there than to die here. And don't we do this so often? Oh my gosh, I would rather die than walk into that meeting right now. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, if I have to hear one more time this story, I am going to lose my mind. Right? And we find ourselves complaining about the bread in the midst of God providing something. And look at what Moses says, just to add insult to injury. Moses also said, you will know that it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Yikes. And that's where we find our first truth today. Complaining discounts God's providing. The Israelites 
They complained about what they had to eat in the desert. When the Lord had freed them from slavery, when he had provided them food in the desert. And Moses says, he doesn't say, stop complaining to me. He says, God has heard your grumbling against him. You're not grumbling against us. You are grumbling against God. Which begs the question, what if all of the complaining that you do in a week, you had to do face-to-face with God himself? <laughs> Go here with me. Like, what's the number one thing that, this is not a sharing time, number one thing <laughs> that you complain about? Number one. You probably thought of it before I even finished the sentence, okay? Number one thing. Okay, I want you to think about it, and I want you to put, like, a thumbtack on the bulletin board in your mind. Keep it there, because we're going we're gonna to talk about it later. But I'm just going to go over some common things that people complain about in general. And I'm going to show how we complain about bread in the midst of freedom. Uh, very common thing to complain about. Your job. Uh, I hear people say, I'm not complaining about the job. I'm complaining about the people at the job. There's a difference. No, there's not. Because do you remember when you didn't have a job? And this job was an answer to prayers? Yikes. Um, uh, Another thing we complain about, we complain about our marriage. Do you remember when you prayed for years that you'd get a spouse that would put up with you? (laughs) Single people. (laughs) I'm looking at you too. We complain about being single, but do you remember when you said, Lord, I want to trust you because I really stink at this? Yeah. And now we have to wait. Uh, We complain about our families. But have you ever thought of the pain it would be to just lose them in an instant? I didn't think about that till I did. Lose my mom in an instant. See, we find ourselves complaining about bread in the midst of freedom more than we like to admit. When we should be rejoicing in the blessings that God has given us. Now, I had the opportunity to write this sermon like a month ago. So I've been here for a while, okay? And this next quote, it has been wrecking my life. Uh, Joyce Meyer, she said, if you're going to complain about it, don't bother praying about it. She says, if if you're going to complain about it, don't bother bringing it to the Lord because you have already discounted his blessings. See, when we complain, whether we acknowledge it or not, it's saying, Lord, I know you provided for me. But simply put, it's not good enough. Lord, I I know that you have performed miracles in my life, but this bread is dry. This bread tastes like biscotti. Who likes biscotti, right? Lord, you got to give me something else to work with, Jesus. I know you provided, but simply put, you need to provide better. See, the problem is not the weather or singleness or slow Wi-Fi. The problem is not your coworker or your coworkers, the, the, the size of your house. The problem is not the things that you deal with. No, the problem is, is that when we complain, we have taken the focus off of God and placed it dead center on ourselves. We have taken the focus and placed it dead center on what we need and how we want it. 
Now, uh, the perfect example of gratefulness, I guess, would be Paul. Paul, when he was called into ministry, he was called at a decent age, but he said, it is my life's purpose to go to Rome and be a minister. Okay, so he, he says, I know that Rome is a center of commerce and culture, and if I can save Rome, I can save the world, right? So he says, Lord, send me to Rome as a minister. Problem is, is that Paul gets there, but not as a minister. As a slave, as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. Now, that's a tough break, right? Uh, that would be like, Lord, give me a lemon meringue pie, and he squeezes lemon juice in your eyes, okay? That would be like, God forbid, asking for a Diet Coke and getting a Pepsi, okay? Um, that, <laughs> that would be like, I don't know, get me getting called into ministry and then being a part of a denomination that said, Lindsay, women can't preach. Yeah, I'd deal really well with that, okay? And he goes there as a prisoner, a Roman prisoner. And he has every reason to be upset, right? God, you called me here, and then you're going to chain me. Did you know Roman prisoners, they don't get chained to the wall. They get chained to a Roman guard. Yeah, Roman body order. Mm -hmm. And so, so he gets chained. Like, think about this. Terrible food, abuse, Roman B.O., cold floors. And in the midst of all of that, this is what he writes, Philippians 2. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, there are a lot of spiritual reasons why you should not complain. But our God is a creator God, right? And so there are also biological implications. Uh, Dr. Terry Bradbury, he writes a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he says that when we complain, the more we complain, the more we hardwire our brain to complain more. It's kind of like when you start rolling down a hill, the longer you've rolled down it, the faster and easier it gets to roll down it. And, and he says this is confirmation bias. We start complaining about the things that kind of stink, and we start seeing these things that stink over and over and over and over again. Uh, Albert, or Abraham Maslow, he says, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> if all you have is cynicism, everything's going to look bad. Uh, I see this with like, single ladies all the time. Uh, boys are so stupid. And then they go out on the first date, and they come home, and they're like, he was so stupid. <laughs> and I think, eh, I think you might have been looking for it, buddy. Uh, we do this also when we hear people say, my job is dysfunctional. And then they go to work, and guess what they're going to find? All the ways that it's dysfunctional. So, see, we do this. And, and what Paul is commanding us to do is not just stop complaining. He says, change your perspective. Change your perspective, because when we renew our perspectives, God transforms our lives. When we renew our perspectives, God transforms our lives. 
Because the same thing is true for good things. When we are waiting, eagerly looking for the blessings of God, guess what you're going to find? This isn't like a prosperity gospel, like you think it and it'll happen. This is when I am looking for the ways that God is showing up, I see him. Are you looking for them? So I want to look at this scripture, and I want to give us some tangible ways that we can make this shift, this change in perspective, and experience freedom from complaining. So he says in verse 16, Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. First thing is change what you can change. I know, it sounds very complicated. (laughs) Um, Change what you can change. Will you just say it with me? Change what you can change. Uh, The problem with complaining is that, have you ever like gotten a vent session or, you know, had an argument, and then after you finished, you realize, crud, now I have to do something about it, right? And sometimes when we complain, we trick ourselves into thinking that we've done something about it, when we really haven't. All we've done is found all the reasons that this stinks. Uh, The same is true for good things. Uh, Have you ever been sick and made a doctor's appointment? and already felt some relief just knowing that you have a doctor's appointment. Or uh, when you talk to somebody about the funny noises your car is making, and you suddenly feel some peace just because you talked about it. The thing about complaining is that it tricks us into thinking that we've done something, and we haven't. And if, it, if it's at work enough, it will keep us from changing things in the world that need to be changed for God's glory. And Paul says, hold firmly to the word of life. So is there something that needs to be changed in your life? Are you sick of talking about the same old thing over and over and over again? What needs to be changed? Read this verse with me. In uh, verse 17, it says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, Just like the faithful service is an offering to God, I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. And he says, when your life feels like it's being poured out, like a liquid offering, uh, the Greek word here is spendo, which is where we get our word spent. He says, when your life feels spent, uh, still rejoice. So what I really wanted to do next was get like an electric burner up here and turn it on absolute high and pour some liquid on it, but I felt that would be a really good recipe for a fire and a really bad smell. So if I had (laughs) an electric burner here uh, to represent a sacrificial offering table and I poured water on it, what would happen? You just make the noise, it's fine, right? It would evaporate. It would smell, it would be disintegrated instantly. And doesn't our lives, don't our lives sometimes feel like that? Like we're doing a lot of stuff and it's going nowhere. And Paul says in this moment, he says, when this happens, still rejoice. 
And the reason that Paul can say that is because the focus of Paul's life wasn't Paul. It was God. Which brings us to a uh, Lindsay abridged version of what Paul said. If you can't change your circumstance, change your perspective. If you can't change your circumstance, you have to change your perspective. Uh, Mo Midlow, she wrote a Bible study that I'm kind of obsessed with about worry and anxiety. And in it, she talks about the word dread. And she says, when we dread something, we force ourselves to experience that thing twice. Or if you're like me, maybe more than twice, okay? Uh, She says, we force ourselves to experience the worst-case scenario and then to experience it when it actually happens. Read what she says. It says, with God, we usually walk through an experience once. He gives us the grace we need to deal with the experience as it happens. But when we dread something, our minds believe God, God's grace won't be present to assist us in handling the situation. And we play out this idea before it happens. So let's go back to the thing that we put a thumbtack in. Number one thing that you complain about in your mind Bring it up. How would your life change if when you had to deal with that situation, you knew that God was waiting in that moment to be with you? See, we serve an omnipresent God, which means that he doesn't really deal with time. So that means that that conversation that you're avoiding, that means that that next uh, shift at work that you hate, That means that that conversation about budget that you don't want to talk about, all of those things, he's already sitting there. Like I said, I I preached, or I wrote this about a month ago, so I practiced. When I'm worried about something, I just imagine Jesus sitting at the Starbucks I'm headed to, (laughs) sipping a cup of coffee waiting for, for me to show up. Not the other way around. He's already there waiting. How would that change your recovery? How would that change the conversations with your relatives? How would that change your attitude at work? If you knew that God was going to give you the grace to walk through that. That those worst case scenarios that you can build up in your mind, that's all they are. Scenarios. You see, that's that's the work of God is that we are not meant to have self-fulfilling prophecies running down and down a mountain. No, we are called to bring Jesus into the harshest corners of our lives. Read this, uh, Lamentations 3. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Maybe the Lord's sitting there drinking a cup of coffee right next to your alarm clock. I don't know. Well, what would it change? Which leads to the last tangible shift. Deactivate complaining with aggressive thankfulness. Simply put, nothing is more destructive to complaining than being thankful. (laughs) Romans 12, verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but but conquer evil by doing good. I want to read that just one more time. Don't let evil conquer you, 
but conquer evil by doing good. Listen, when you drift back into negativity and those complaints and those thoughts and those words that you say, that is not a time to relax and get comfortable and let loose. That is a time to arm yourself with thankfulness, to say, Lord, today, even though it's difficult, I am choosing to thank you. So we're going to close tonight or today with some worship. And today, uh, as worship was happening, you were handed a thank you card. Uh, if you don't have one of those, if you want to raise your hand, um, Jen will bring you a, a thank you card. And I want to encourage you to do something today with me. Um, that thank you card is not necessarily something that we're going to address and mail out. You might need to fill out a thank you card for an inanimate object. It might need to be your recovery or your counseling. It might need to be a thank you card to your job. It might need to be a thank you card to Jesus. It might be a thank you card to your coworker or your spouse. But whatever that looks like, whatever it is, we just want to allow time and space for you to write those. To write a note of just gratitude to this situation. And I'm going to give you two options on what you can do with those thank you cards. The first is that you can come up to the altar and you can leave them here. Nobody's going to read them or anything. I'll just shred them. Uh, but, but maybe you need to come up to the altar and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, God, those are yours. God, I trust you. Or maybe you need to take them home with you. Maybe they need to be on the dashboard in your car. Maybe they need to be in your cubicle. Maybe they need to be in your wallet so that every time you drift back into this place where you are uh, renouncing the providence of God in your life, you read it and you say, Lord, I commit to aggressive gratitude. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there are so many things in a week that we feel ungrateful for. Lord, there are huge situations in our lives that are painful. God, that are stressful. Lord, I think of Paul when he writes that my life feels like a vapor. God, our lives feel like a vapor sometimes. God, that we are doing so much and not getting anywhere. God, but we don't want to be like the Israelites, complaining about bread after you have provided miracles. Lord Jesus, we want to be like Paul, who was chained to a Roman soldier and counted it pure joy. Lord Jesus, in the midst of everything that we, we walk through, God, of the counseling that we walk through, of the mentoring that we go through, Lord, of the ways that we are trying to get more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless those. God, that you would help us to see the good in it. God, that you would help us to see how you're providing in the midst of those. Lord, as this time, as we close and we, we enter into a time of just response, Lord, I pray that a hush would fall over just this sanctuary, that we would be available to hear you and that you would hear our gratitude and we would see the blessing in the midst 
of the desert. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. God, would you walk us through this moment? Amen.